Take your Bibles tonight, go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll get into this quickly and see what we can learn tonight. Matthew chapter 7, and uh, that's going to be a verse that I, uh, every Wednesday, will be going to and looking at and uh, as part of this series on wolves in sheep's clothing. And uh, we're going to see what we can get tonight. Matthew 7, 15 says this. By the time we're done, y'all going to know this verse like the back of your hand. And so uh, the Bible says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are they are ravening wolves. Now, I thought something interesting about this verse. I was looking at this before I came to church tonight. And uh, verse 15, of course, gives us that warning, but I find it interesting. It's given right after uh, Jesus talks about the straight gate and the narrow way and um, I think that's interesting, and I preached a message on that several Sundays ago, and it got me thinking this evening, I was sitting at my desk, and I was looking at this verse, and I went back to verse number 13, and I thought, you know what, uh, these... Uh, he says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. And, you know, not only is the way to hell uh, wide, not only is it a broad gate, not only is it a wide path, but you've also got these false prophets that he warns us about in verse number 15, sitting there enticing people to come on to that wide road. Do y'all see that? Isn't that interesting? See, false prophets don't just believe something wrong themselves. They're grabbing a lot of other people and taking them with them. And verse 16 tells us, ye shall know them by their fruits. In other words, you know the truth. You got to know the truth first. If you don't know what the truth is, you'll fall for anything and everything. And so if you know the truth, and then you're going to look at these people, and the Bible tells us, Jesus says, ye shall know them by their fruits. Now, uh, I already mentioned this last week, the dangers of false prophets and their heresy is nothing new. It was not, unco it was not uncommon in Jesus' day, nor was it anything new on the scene. Where did it start at? All the way back in the garden, which is where we started last week. And so uh, in, in this day, you think about all throughout the Old Testament, uh, God had his prophets, and uh, during the days of the prophets, God would send a message of repentance and of judgment. That's, uh, every prophet had something like that in common. And, and what happened? Well, the false prophets, even of that day, would refute the claims of God's men, and they preached a message of, guess what? Peace and prosperity. It ain't changed much, has it? And so Paul, I want you to understand, it's nothing new. Paul warned of false prophets. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 29 says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Peter and John dealt with them. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. 
And uh, in 1 John 4, 1, we are commanded not to believe just anything that comes along. The Bible tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so the false prophet remains today, and we must be aware of the dangers they pose to the church. Now, uh, tonight in part two of this series, uh, we're going to look at recognizing a cult or false religion. Now, I've always said this, and I believe the best way to keep yourself from something false is to know the truth. You got to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, it don't matter. I mean, you're going to fall for anything and everything that comes by. You've got to know the truth. But... I think there are some things we need to know about having to do with these other people. I think we need, uh, in the Bible, I've got Bible, I mean, Bible tells us to expose their works of darkness. And so that's why I've chosen and through the leadership of the Lord to have this kind of a a series. And so uh, some of this we're going to talk about tonight. You're going to remember it from last week because it kind of overlaps what we introduced and there are distinctive traits of every cult that has ever been and ever will be and we can use these to identify organizations or groups which are not based upon scriptural doctrines philosophies ideologies and practices and understanding these similarities is going to help us do what we are commanded to do in Jude 3 which is to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints And so let me give you tonight, we're going to be kind of short tonight, but let me give you some distinctive traits of a cult heresy. There's five of them, as a matter of fact, I've uh, marked down here. And much of what you're going to hear tonight, um, I gleaned from a book called The Challenge of the Cults and New Religions. It's written by a man named Ron Rhodes. And actually, I've got several, I mentioned it last week, I've got I've got uh, uh, documents from uh, Brother Ronnie Simpson on cults that I'm studying. I'm studying uh, a massive, very in-depth series that Brother Tom Brennan preached on uh, cults. And then uh, also the uh, very, very uh, good reference title uh, from Dr. Walter Martin uh, called Kingdom of the Cults. And then uh, picked up another book last week, started looking through it. uh, Here from Ron Rhodes, A Challenge of Cults and New Religions. So uh, what I'm telling you is nothing new. Uh, I'm gleaning from a lot of people and putting it into this series. So I hope it's a help from, uh, I hope it's a help to all of us. Uh, So here we go. Let me give you some five, let me give you five things. And there's more, but I tried to, I'm I'm trying to be quick tonight. Uh, Number one, like I said, we'll repeat some of this from last week, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail. Number one, Uh, Cults, uh, uh, some distinctive traits of a cult heresy, number one, is new revelation from God. If it's a false religion, false religion and cults have something very very much in common. All of them will contain a new revelation from God. Most cults and New Age religion leaders claim to have a direct pipeline to God. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Mormon leader Brigham Young, he said this, I have had many revelations. I have seen and heard for myself and know these things are true and nobody on earth can disprove them. Well, y'all remember the Moonies? Reverend Moon, he said this uh, of the Unification Church. He claimed to receive a revelation from Christ on Easter morning in 1936. Uh, Baha'is, their claim that the latest and greatest revelation from God has come through their prophet, Baha'u'llah. 
Well, Christian scientists, they believe that Mary Baker Eddy received revelations that are necessary to understand uh, previous revelations in the Bible. And it's interesting. Let me just throw this at you. It's really interesting. The teachings of cults change often. And, they, and, and every time that something changes, it requires new revelations to justify them. I'm going to go ahead and throw a stick of dynamite out here with the Mormons. So uh, I mentioned Brigham Young just a minute ago. Well, Mormons had one time, at one time, excluded African Americans from the priesthood. And so when social pressure was applied on, on the Mormon church because of the racist practice, the Mormon president received a new revelation reversing the previous revelation. It had to. The last one wasn't good. I mean... <laughs> but all these revelations come from a perfect God, supposedly. Isn't that interesting? So in cults and New Age religions, they generally, here's what ends up happening, they generally put their credibility to new revelations rather than past ones, such as those who are found those found in the Bible. Oh, those are old revelations. And you see this even in the NAR movement. You see this in the, uh, the health, wealth, prosperity. Uh, you see this with people like Benny Hinn and Ken Copeland and Chris, I mean, all these guys. You, you see these men claiming to have a revelation from God. You see it all the time. It doesn't take very long. You, you listen to these uh, faith healers talk, they'll be getting revelations from God. Uh, even... Huh. Yeah, anyways. So that's what that's something they all have in common. But what does the Bible say? And I, I got one verse, one verse disproves every one of them. You know what it is? Second Peter chapter one, verse twenty. The Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Boom. Verse 21 goes on and says, For the prophecy came not in old, old uh, time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That's why this Bible right here does not contradict itself. That's why the Bible, it is a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors over a span of I forget how many years off the top of my head, and yet it's all tightly interwoven. You can't even tell it was written by multiple people. I'm talking physically. You know why you can't tell that? Because God moved upon those men to write what they did. And nowadays you got men standing up behind a pulpit saying that they receive personal revelations from God and, you're expect, and they expect you to believe that. And those revelations are better than what was in the Bible even though they find themselves in situations like the Mormon church did and had to concoct a new revelation so that they wouldn't be known as a racist religion. That stuff makes me mad. Makes me mad because I'm like, people, can't you see? And yet, I sat here and preached the truth and you can't get people to come to church for nothing. That's aggravating. Y'all know that? That's aggravating. But this right here brings us right into the second trait that we find. Number one, a new revelation from God is what they say. 
But here's number two. It goes right into it. An extra scriptural source of authority. Notice what I said at the last right there. In cults and New Age religions, they generally put their credibility to new revelations rather than past revelations like that found in the Word of God. You try to witness to them, it doesn't matter what this says. What matters is what their leader says. Mm, I tell you, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. We've got a lot of good Baptists that are just as bad. They'll come to church and they'll listen to a man of God preach the word of God and then they'll go on out the doors and live the life however they feel like it because they don't really believe what that says. Ain't that the truth? So an extra scriptural source of authority, that's number two. I gave you some examples of this last week, so I'm not going to repeat them tonight, but all cults, all cults use books usually written by their founders as authority over Scripture, or it's necessary to have that book in order to interpret Scripture. And here's the thing, when cults, I mean, the best example of that's the Book of Mormon, but all of them have it. Every one of them has it. What you think about the Book of Mormon? They even call it, and I went into detail with that last week, I'm not going to, but they even call it an, a, a new revelation of Je another testament of Jesus Christ is what they call the Book of Mormon. And so you have to interpret the Bible through the lens of the Book of Mormon. Anywho, when cults raise their books to the level of Scripture, Anthony Hokema writes this. He said, God is no longer allowed to speak as He does in the Bible. He may now speak only as their sect deems proper. Thus, the Word of God is brought under the yoke of man. Hey, you, you look at the Bible and you look at the truth and you can just shoot holes through every one of these religions. You know why? Because they're run by men. Yeah. They're fallen. They're faulty. I wish I had another F right there. I ain't getting it. So, number three. Third, third trait, a distinctive trait of every cult is the denial of salvation by grace. The denial of salvation by grace. Without exception, cults deny salvation by grace, thus distorting the purity of the gospel. Works are typically viewed as being necessary in attaining salvation, thus viewing the grace of God as a reward, not a gift. Now, in Mormon theology, one cannot become eligible for the highest degree of salvation without keeping the commandments of the Lord in all things. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they emphasize the importance of distributing the watchtower, uh, watchtower literature door to door as part of working out their salvation. In oneness Pentecostalism, faith, repentance, water baptism, and baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced in their cult by speaking in tongues, are all necessary for the new birth to be achieved. Well, that's sad, ain't it? Now, here's, here's my question. If speaking in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit, why is it that they teach people how to speak in tongues? Just throwing it out there. I watched a training video on it one night. It was fun. I didn't know I could say things like I did. 
But I'll tell you one thing about it. <laughs> the Holy Ghost wasn't nowhere around it. <laughs> I was just having fun. But how sad is that? They got faith. They got repentance. But they add all of the rest. Water baptism. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be baptized to be saved. That thief on the cross wasn't baptized. I mean, just to poke a little bit of fun at the one this Pentecostalism movement, I mean, uh, Jesus told that man, hey, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to, 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 to be baptized. And he didn't have time for the leader of the church to come explain to him the process of speaking in tongues. So I don't really care what the oneness Pentecostalism movement says. Jesus trumps what they say. Does that not make sense? Now, we'll get into this in another lesson, but what one word means in the Bible or to us tonight doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to these cults. All right, let me, let, me, let me show you. Some of these cults that I've mentioned pay lip service to salvation, quote, by grace. You'll hear that from Mormons. You'll hear that from Jehovah's Witnesses even. But by this, here's what they mean when they say by grace. Because of God's great favor, humans now have the wonderful opportunity to work out or earn salvation. That's how they view it. Others describe this grace as being more of a reward for those who are faithful to the conditions and the requirements laid down by the cult. Oh, well, it is salvation by grace. If it wasn't for God's grace, we wouldn't have an opportunity to earn our salvation. That's how they look at it. We know tonight that that's not true because biblical grace, uh, that's not true biblical grace whatsoever. The Bible says, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why is it not of works? Well, so, lest any man should boast. You think about that. Let's just say, I'm a Jehovah's Witness tonight. And I gave out 50,000 copies of the latest Watchtower. This fella over here only gave out four. I got a better chance than you. Right? What about the, what about the one that's Pentecostal that can speak in tongues, but this brother over here can't? Oh, I guess if I was a one that's Pentecostal, I'd say, well, I'm going to heaven. I guess you're not. I'm sorry, buddy. What's the Bible say? It's not of works, lest any man should boast. You know why? Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ done. It's not. <laughs> I'm telling you, it, it, it's just. My mind gets blown. The Bible is crystal clear. Here's a fourth one. I'm getting caught up. I got I to gotta keep going here. Number four tonight. The devalue, how can I say this? This is a hard word. The devaluation of Christ. 
the devaluation of Christ. Another trait of the cults is that they deny the full deity of Jesus Christ, every one of them. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they hold that Jesus was created by the Father billions of years ago as the Archangel Michael and is hence a lesser God than the Father who is God Almighty to them. Don't ask me where they get that from. I'm just giving you what they believe. I can't wrap my head around it. Mormons, <laughs> here's a fun one. Mormons believe, they argue that Jesus was born as the first and greatest spirit child of the heavenly father and the heavenly mother and was the spirit brother of Lucifer. I don't know who the heavenly mother's supposed to be. But I'm going to tell you something. Let me just throw this in here while I'm talking about it. This junk is getting into our churches. I'll just go ahead and call them out. I mean, you got, you got guys like, uh, you think about some of the songs, some of the good gospel songs that's been written, and I'm, I'm talking older stuff, and uh, you think of guys like Buddy Green. Uh, I, I can't think of what all he wrote, but you think about him, and you think about, uh, I mean, Buddy Green's in all sorts of gospel music. He, he wrote all sorts of songs and put music to it, and then you got um, um, Mark Lowry, which when I was growing up, everybody thought he was just greatest thing since sliced bread. Uh, sung with the Gotho vocal band. I don't really know what he does now. Um, I do know that last year I caught him on an interview with Buddy Green talking about how he viewed the Holy Spirit as a female. Yeah. Writing a lot of music that's in our churches, and a lot of people look at them as good, godly Christian men, and they're on there talking about how how he he so here's here's actually what he said. He started out the conversation by saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a gender, but if it did have a gender, it would definitely be a woman. I'm sorry. The Bible refers to him as him and he. What do you mean it doesn't have a gender? What do you mean? And by all means, when you want to pick a gender for the Holy Spirit, you want to come out and say it's female? I'm telling you, this junk right here is in, I mean, it's getting into stuff. It's new age stuff. You better watch what you believe and what you allow in. These guys are messing stuff up like crazy. So Mormons, they argue that, yeah, the Baha'is say that Jesus was just one of many prophets of God and is lesser than the most recent prophet, Baha'u'llah, which is their leader. Unitarian Universalists deny that Jesus is God and argue that he was basically a good moral teacher. The Jesus, I know I'm going to, I know I'm going to make a lot of people mad here, but it is what it is. The Jesus of the Masonic Lodge is one of many ways. I, I'm going to have to get me a bulletproof vest, probably. <laughs> it's the truth. They believe Jesus is just one of many ways. And we got preachers part of the Masonic Lodge. I really got to move on. Somebody help me out right there. Mm-mm-mm. 
You know why? I hope it's because they don't really understand the truth. Because, you know, in our day, we have this problem of, oh, yeah, well, that's not really what it is. The Jesus of the spiritist is just an advanced medium. Do you see where I'm going with all this? All of these views devalue and redefine Jesus' work of salvation, even on a cross. Think about this. Mormon leader Brigham Young taught that some sins were so serious that the sinner must shed his own blood for atonement. Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus, as a mere man, died at the stake. Roman Catholics say that there are mortal sins, and if you commit them, you're doomed and damned to hell, and there is nothing you can do about it because their priest will not give you forgiveness. You know what the Roman Catholic Church is? It's a cult. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, 11, and 12, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and often offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, what man, who? Jesus Christ, in verse 10, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What's man do? They get in it and they mess it up. Here's number five. We'll be done. Number five. They all play a central role in eschatology. All cults hold that God has raised them up from the last days to fill a gap left by the mainstream church. A number of cults see themselves as playing a central role in fulfilling biblical prophecy, and thus they view themselves as an important part of the unfolding of God's plan on earth. Now, uh, let me give you some of these. Baha'is claim that Jesus' prophecy of the spirit of truth in the upper room discourse over in John chapter 14 through 16 was a prophecy of its leader, Baha'u'llah, and that references to the second coming in the New Testament are all fulfilled in Baha'u'llah. They literally believe their leader is the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. The Mormon-inspired version of the Bible. Now, y'all get a hold of this, okay? Get a hold of this. The Mormon-inspired version. Yes, they do have a version of the Bible, just like the Catholic Church does. Catholic Church wrote their own Bible. They took, they took manuscripts from the Latin Vulgate and they, and they put certain teachings in. Do you know that if you read a Catholic Bible, you'll find all of the, you know, uh, confessing your sins to the priest and, and you'll find the paying penance for your sins and all that? Yeah. So let me give you this one. The Mormon-inspired version of the Bible, which conveniently was personally edited by Joseph Smith himself, contains a prophecy of Smith in Genesis 50. Mormons also claim to be the restored church with a restored priesthood and restored gospel, and they view themselves as God's Latter-day Saints, the Jesus Christ Church of Latter-day Saints. Y'all get that, right? That's what we know, the LDS movement, it's Mormons. That's where Latter-day Saints, they believe they are God's Latter-day Saints, proclaiming God's last word to the people of the earth. What about this? Jehovah's Witnesses have often portrayed themselves as God's witnesses on earth prior to the unleashing of Armageddon, and they consider themselves the only ones who will survive 
the worldwide catastrophe of Armageddon. Here's another one. You may not have heard this uh, cult before, but they've got many hundreds of thousands of followers right now. Uh, it's a cult called Shinjongji. Uh, they are a very large cult based in Korea. They believe itself to be the end time expression of the true church through the direct fulfillment of the prophecies in Revelation. Their leader and founder, a man named uh, Lee Man Hee, uh, he's known as the promised pastor. And he claims that by divine revelation to have been sent by the Holy Spirit to create God's kingdom of heaven here on earth. Exactly as he witnessed it in heaven. The word Shinjongji actually means new heaven, new earth. Which is where they get the name of their cult. Along with these views being uh, the central role in prophecy or eschatology comes the belief also that they're the only ones that's going to be saved. You know, we got a lot of Baptists that believe that one too. Here's what, here's what I, I mean by that. I want you to understand that believing you're the only one right. And listen, I'm loud where the Bible's loud. There's some things, some of y'all's talked about, talked to me about some things. And I'll just look at it and just say, well, it, it's not a hill to die on. friend of mine once told me, pastor friend, he said, be loud where the Bible's loud and approach everything else with grace. Pretty good advice. But here's the thing. I want you to know that believing you're the only one right or if you believe someone is lost just because they don't do things exactly the way that you do. Maybe they don't dress like you do. Maybe they don't talk exactly like you do. Maybe they, just, they don't have, you know. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're lost. You actually, when you have that mentality, you're violating a principle of the teachings of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. Luke chapter 9, verse 49 and 50. I'm telling you, I'm getting in all sorts of trouble with this. Uh, God does this to me. I don't know. I, I don't know. Luke 9, 49 says this, And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followeth not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. It's interesting. You know what that means? It means there's people out here that don't believe exactly like I do and don't act exactly the way that I do, don't dress exactly how I do, don't talk exactly like I do, but they're not my enemy. For he that is not against us is for us. Let me be 100% clear on this. Jesus taught his disciples to have a more generous spirit. There are many that are wrong in some aspect of their presentation or in their teaching, yet still set forth Jesus in a proper manner. And you know what Jesus said? Let God deal with them. I'm, I'm going to clarify something here in just a second. Let God deal with them. Here's, here's what I want to I wanna wrap it up right here and say. Those who are not against a biblical Jesus are still on our side. Amen goes right there don't misunderstand me listen to what I said those who are not against a biblical Jesus in other words I've said it like this if you're in the Bible you believe what the Bible says we may disagree on several things but it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong or I'm right in other words a biblical Jesus 
Let me give you this and I'll be quiet. I've done went longer than I expected to. I'm sorry. Paul saw many men preaching Christ from many motives. Some of them even evil motives. Yet, you know what he said? He rejoiced that Christ was being preached. I've seen men, I know men right now. They don't do things like I do. They don't look like I do. They don't dress like I do. They don't act like I do. Their churches don't look like ours does. They get with, but they'll get behind a pulpit and they'll preach Jesus crucified. They'll preach the Bible right exactly the way the Bible is. You know what? That man's not my enemy. Listen to what Paul wrote. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. He said, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So here's the thing. That brother down the street that don't look like I do and don't do things like I do, but he preaches Christ right out of this Bible, I got no problem with him. You know what I got a problem with? I got a problem with cults and false religions that are taking a bunch of people to hell because they're tearing this precious book all to pieces. And they're sending out a false Jesus. And they're telling about a false Jesus. And they attack his deity. They attack his word. And when you do that, you are my enemy. And I will say it. Why? Because I'm commanded to. Mark and avoid. Expose the evil works of darkness. That's why I said even what I said about the Masons tonight. I got friends that have write me off for that one. But it's all right. The truth is worth dying for. The truth is worth everything. Let's stand by our heads, close our eyes. If the Lord spoke to you in any way tonight, this altar is open. You ought to come use it. Maybe you got a need tonight. I know this is different on Wednesdays. It's more